Have you wondered about living elsewhere in your retirement? Well, we have almost daily. No, it's not a simple decision, especially when two people are involved. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about retirement destinations. We live in Brooklyn, New York, having grown up and worked in this area of the country. We're hoping to relocate when we're both retired. For us, it's the weather, the chaos, the noise, and the yearning to be near nature and not within three feet of human beings. <laughs> That's right. In February 2020, we embarked on our journey to find that special place. We spent a week in Winter Park, Florida, which is beautiful, but something said it wasn't for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then gave birth. I gave birth? To this podcast. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. Why not connect with and learn from them? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. I recently retired from a university career practicing higher education law. I love the academic environment, but it was time to do something else. I no longer have to set an alarm, drive in BQE traffic, or work with people who don't always share the same principles. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you bet I did. I traded all that in to binge crime dramas into the wee hours just a little bit to develop the podcast, to volunteer, practice metalsmithing, tackle our possessions. No regrets so far, Jane. I'm not Asian, and as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. We will be speaking to folks from across the street to across the globe who have moved to their dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Thank you. Bon dia. Bon, bon, bon. Okay, okay. Bon dia. Guess what, folks? We're back in Portugal. Yeah. Have you gotten enough of the country yet? We haven't. Our aim is to cover every corner of the country so you don't have to. Well, at least share stories and experience from others who have made the leap for your information. Today, we'll be chatting with Bruce Joffe and Russ Warren about moving to Castelo Branco, an inland city in central Portugal. Wait, did I just say inland? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've covered much of coastal Portugal, but many wonder what it's like to live in the middle. Well, Castelo Branco has a population of about 52,000, with 34,000 residing in the urban area. The city's name translates to White Castle. No, not the White Castle, founded in 1921 by Billy Ingram, who launched a family-owned business with 700 bucks and an idea, selling five-cent small square hamburgers, so easy to eat they were dubbed sliders, and sold by the sack. Belly bombers. <laughs> in 2014, Time magazine declared the iconic original slider the most influential burger of all time. Oops, the term castle really is rooted in early history when the city or locale built fortresses for protection. According to Wikipedia, the most important monument in Castelo Branco, I'm saying it wrong each time, it's Branco? Branco? Castelo? Okay, you make a S-H sound in the first word. Castelo, the okay. O is pronounced as a U. Castelo Branco. Castelo Branco is the Jardim do Paco Espanol. Episcopal, <laughs> known as the Garden of the Episcopal Palace. It is described as one of the most beautiful Baroque gardens in Portugal and contains statues of allegories, kings, and zodiacal signs arranged around ponds, terraces, and staircases. The city is home to Santoro, a company which produces industrial coolers, refrigerators, and freezers. The Portuguese hmm. subsidiary of Danone, or Danone, has a factory in Castelo, Bronco, Castelo. Bronco, <laughs> which produces Danone's dairy products for the entire Iberian Peninsula. The district of the city is also famed for the cheese. Delphi Packard is a major factory and the principal employer with more than a thousand workers. The factory makes automobile components for the most important automobile constructors like Ferrari. Gene, can you tell us a little bit about our guest? Sure. Bruce Jaffe was born and raised in New York City 
He has a doctorate in business communication, a master's in education, and a bachelor's in Spanish, not Portuguese, huh? For the majority of his career, Bruce worked in publishing, public relations, and was a pastor, and of course, a university professor. And he also told us he worked on soap operas, both writing them and appearing in them. He is now retired and became a publisher and creative director of Portugal Living Magazine. By the way, this beautifully designed English magazine is available for free. Yes, I said free at PortugalLivingMagazine.com. Bruce's interests include travel, reading, socializing, entertaining, art, and flea markets. Russ Warren was born and raised in Portsmouth, Virginia. He earned a BA in psychology from George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. His career included being an accreditation manager for the American Culinary Federation's Education Foundation. He performed marketing, media design for nonprofit performing arts organizations and designed for print and digital publications. And is he still working? Of course, he's young. He's involved in marketing, media design for nonprofit performing arts organizations and designed for Portugal Living Magazine. Russ's interests include cooking, baking, light gardening, reading cookbooks, and flea markets. And by the way, I forgot to mention, Bruce also has a book out. It's called Expat, Leaving the USA for Good. Hmm, interesting <laughs> title, Bruce. So Bruce and Russ, welcome to the podcast. Why did you decide to move abroad and why inland Portugal of all places? It started 15 years ago when we were hooked on House Hunters International. And we used to watch HGTV all of the time. And we said, well, we can do that, too. And we actually auditioned for the show. Um, that's all another story. But we ended up buying a place in inland Spain 15 years ago. And we vacationed there several times a year. When we decided something happened on January 20th, 2016, which prompted us to decide we were going to be moving abroad. And we first look into Spain. And there were so many roadblocks. Spain made all of the Schengen countries use the same application for a visa form. But how individual countries interpret that form is very different. For an example, Spain wanted, I had to show as I was the one applying for residence in Spain, I had to show a passive income, a retirement income of a minimum of 28,000 euros per year, plus an additional 8,000 euros per year per dependent. And Russ would be my dependent. So I would have to have 36,000 euros a year. You're not allowed to work. Nobody in your family is allowed to work, neither myself nor Russ, whether it's on-site in Spain or remotely. It was just very, very hard. We wouldn't qualify for it. And we had neighbors in Wisconsin at the time who said, why don't you look into Portugal? We had bought a place, they told us, in Portugal. They had bought in Portugal, they had bought a small quinta, which is a farm, a tiny farm, that's really not far from us here in, in Castel Branco. They're in a village called Alpadrinha. And they had been working on the house for a couple of years to make it livable for them. And they were planning to move there, which they did a year before we moved here. They, they were the ones who encouraged us to come look in this area. Um, we had also looked... In the Coimbra area, which is also inland Portugal, but a, a larger city. We we looked at properties here, and we looked at properties here in the Castelo Branco area, and um, ultimately decided here. But it's really because of, of Linda and Russ. Linda and Russ actually pointed us to this area. But getting back to your bigger question, why the interior? Because we don't want to live in an expat ghetto. There are places, there's, you know, whether you talk about Lisbon, whether you talk about Cascais, whether you talk about the Algarve, whether you talk even Puerto these days. Okay, there are so many people that only speak English. They've been here 15 years and they don't know a word of Portuguese. They ah. expect the Portuguese to speak English to them. I don't want to live that kind of life. Okay. So we found that in the interior, we could blend in with the natives, okay, and we live just like the natives do. Oh. We have a row house. Um, we have two houses, actually. One is in the interior. The other is on the border. It's in the, an area called the Alentejo. And we're right on the border 
of Spain, where Portugal and Spain meet at the Spanish city of Badajoz, which is a rather large city. But in both areas, we live with the locals, okay? We are forced to speak Portuguese and to practice Portuguese. We shop where they shop. We live where they do. I guess that brings us full circle on that question. Yeah. So you left Wisconsin, cheese capital. The first part of your answer was based on a couple of friends, right? And also that they left because of certain election, it sounds like. We actually, to put closure on that thought, inauguration occurred on January 20th. In March, we came to Portugal and bought a property. It took us another year to get the property in shape and to get our affairs together, to get all of the legal work and so forth, so that we were able to move. We actually moved here in March 2018. So was it easier in terms of applying for the visa for Portugal and, you know, living there to retire there and so forth? Bruce mentioned the difficulty in, in obtaining a residency visa in Spain. And so that was our comparison. That was what we knew. Right. Our friends Linda and Russ said, "No, no, no! It's it's gonna it's different in Portugal. Even though we have to meet the same requirements that Schengen nations all have to meet, they're interpreted differently by different countries. And Portugal has a much more welcoming, loose interpretation of of what these rules mean. So, um, basically, we have to demonstrate that we can support ourselves and not be a drain on Portuguese government and and medical system." So we have our own, maybe I'm getting ahead, but we have our, we do have private insurance, but we are eligible to use the public healthcare network because we we pay into that through social security. I'm Is sorry, go ahead. Income requirement? That's where I was yes, going to yes. go. I was going to go, um, Russ did an excellent job in explaining all that. The difference is that whereas Spain wanted 36,000, wanted proof of 36,000 pass dollars a year in passive income, Portugal required the minimum wage, which means that we had to have 8,000 euros in the bank. Wow, what a difference. Yeah, that's their minimum wage. And also, you said earlier, Russ wouldn't be able to work in Spain, right? Russ would not be able. Spain has a lot more different types of residency than Portugal does. Mm -hmm. Portugal says, if we let you in, if we give you, um, it's the the standard D7, just residential, general residential. Mm -hmm. If you can get a job here, fine. I mean, if you can work in Portugal and find a job in Portugal, fine. If you work, you know, outside or remotely as Russ does, fine. There's no restrictions like that as there are in Spain. Yeah, that's what we've been hearing. It's so wonderful. I mean, it's welcoming. It's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. You talked a little about healthcare. So why don't we start off there? How is the healthcare there? You say that you could use the public system, but you do have private insurance. Is it is it difficult finding a doctor? How is it there? In Castelo Branco. We never want to be a drag on the Portuguese healthcare system, but we are very, very grateful that it's there. And I'll give you an example. Russ periodically has had attacks of kidney stones, okay? And he had a really, really bad attack of kidney stones. And he said, you need to take me to the hospital. So I took him to the emergency room of the hospital. They didn't ask for any paperwork. They didn't ask for our NIF, which is your number, your fiscal number, you know, like a social security. They didn't ask about insurance because it's a public hospital. And so bureaucracy first kicked in, you know, where you have to first meet with this person. Then you sit down with that person. You sit down with another person. We understand that if it's more urgent, if you come in with a heart attack or, God forbid, an accident, they rush you right through. You know, the paperwork waits. We probably waited about two hours. We sat in the waiting room and then they called for Russ and I could not go back. Poor Russ is in pain for two hours more. Well, (laughs) it um, it comes and goes. So it's not. (laughs) They took Russ and he was gone for three hours. Okay. I had no idea what was going on what they were doing to him, who was doing it to him, what it was going to cost, you know, what. And three hours later, he comes waltzing out. He has like a sheaf of papers with him (laughs) because they had done 97 different tests on him. They had done IVs and, and, and he could probably do a better job saying what it was. They never gave us a bill. I got x-rays. There were like five x-rays at least. Wow. 
And, you know, and, in three hours, that's wonderful because in New York, I think it takes about one x-ray is what, one hour, another x-ray <laughs> is another hour. You know, you'd be there like 12 hours for five tests. Well, he was, like I said, in there for three hours. He came out with like a nine page <laughs> printout yeah. showing every test that they had given him. They had put him on IV and they had given him a prescription, you know, to take. And okay. and I'm saying, well, what do we do um, uh, uh, about paying and so forth? So I went up to the reception area and she said, don't worry about it. You'll get a bill. And Portugal being Portugal, three months later, we still <laughs> hadn't gotten a bill. <laughs> So I went to Facebook and I started asking people and some of the foreigners in, in Portugal group. And I said, well, what do we do? And they said, well, the bill's probably there at the desk for you. If you go back to the hospital and go to the receptionist and ask if there's a bill for Russ Warren, they'll probably be. And that's what we did. And I think the whole thing came to 20 some odd, 24, something 24 like that. Euros. <laughs> 24 no. euros. 24 euros. Of which 19 was for the doctor, and the rest were for all the tests that, 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 that they administered. I mean, how do you think they fund all that? Government. They have high taxes. Yes, taxes. Uh, but how? Well, we're going to talk about that in a moment. So, you had your kidney stones removed, I assume, after all this? They passed through eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get too off track, but that was right before my father died, and mm -hmm. they had to fly in this condition back to. United States for the funeral and then fly back. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry. And so luckily I had all the pain medicine I needed. Yeah. Has it been difficult to find a primary care? That's the other question because there's been a shortage, we know. So what was that? What's that like? Okay. This is where the difference between public, free, mm -hmm. for all health insurance, even if you're not a resident. Okay. If you step foot in, the law says that the Portugal hospitals have to take care of you. Now they'll give you a bill, maybe three months later. Okay. But they will give you a bill, you know, for, for what it costs. When it comes to private insurance, which we have also, we don't have to go to a primary care physician. It's not like an HMO in the United States where you first go to a primary care physician and that physician, that's how the public system works. You go first to, um, in, in the public, every town, every village has a health center. And you are assigned to that health center. And there's a doctor, a general practitioner, doctor that's also assigned to that health care center. And they will examine you and make any referrals. And that's where there's a lot of complaints about the bureaucracy and things getting lost in the system. Because what happens is the general practitioner by email, refers the patient to a specialist in a given hospital who doesn't check his email or doesn't check his email for two weeks. And all of a sudden, everything you know gets lost. We've heard this over and again. With private insurance, the good side is that depending what insurance you have, you'll have a provider network. And so you just go online you pick the area in the country, you know, like if we're traveling. Our insurance also covers us in Spain. Differently, though, in Spain, while everything is covered to the same extent as in Portugal, in Spain, we have to pay. And it's cheap there, too, in Spain, although it's not free. OK, and then we get reimbursed by we, we submit our bills and we get immediate reimbursement from our insurance company. Just for our audience, I want to note that Bruce made a couple of references to Spain. So I just want to let you know that they also have a home in Spain. But today we're focusing on inland of Barstello Branco. Now, I just wanted to clarify because people are going to say, where did that Spain come from? You know what I mean? Okay. The house in Spain, you only go, you, you don't go to that much, right? How often do you go there? We go about three times a year. Okay. We rotate <laughs> three weeks here, three weeks there, and three weeks in the other place. Wow. But because of the problems that we've had, as mentioned, maybe before the broadcast or in the beginning, the last time that we went to our house, which we've had for 15 years in Spain, it was difficult for me. It was difficult for the dogs. We had to cut our trip short by a week. Instead of two weeks, we were there for a week. We came back to Portugal where we had our backyards, our single family. But we bought, we have purchased another house in the same town in Spain because it's our home. 
It's our home base there. We have friends for 15 years. and But this time we got a smaller house. It doesn't have a backyard, but it's got kind of a patio that runs around it um, with concrete. And the dogs will be fine opening the kitchen door, going out. Okay, they don't have to deal with the street. We don't have to deal with the street. Okay. So what we mentioned before the broadcast, just for clarification, were the stairs. The stairs were difficult to navigate, and they will be as we all age. Okay. So let's move to housing. Can you tell us whether you purchased or rented when you first got to Portugal? We purchased. And and without living there a while? Yeah. Well, we had come to Portugal four times on scouting trips. I guess I can say that we've never been renters. We just were homebodies. Most of our lives revolve around home. We like having friends over. We like going, you know, seeing friends and so forth. So we did purchase. We purchased. And and you were mentioning that the first house you purchased, it had stairs and it also had commercial park. Can you talk a little about that, about why you purchased it? Yes. I was on Social Security at that point. Um, I had taken, opted for social early Social Security benefits. And so I was okay. I made more than enough just on my Social Security to qualify, you know, in Portugal for both me and Russ. But Russ is young, okay? He's 14 years younger than I am. He had a great job. He was executive director in Wisconsin of a performing arts organization. It's a chamber music group. He was the executive director. He was marketing manager. And when he told them that he was going to be moving to Portugal, he would have been the first person to work remotely. And we didn't know if they would accept that or not. So we needed to have a plan B. And the plan B is he's a great cook. He loves to cook. (laughs) What we were looking for was a place that already was zoned commercial, that on the first, you know, on the street level, through the shower, that there was a cafe or some such thing where we could open a place that introduced tapas, which is a Spanish small little plate to the Portuguese. But our spin on it was that we were going to be doing American tapas americanas. Mm -hmm. And so we would have little like franks and beans and macaroni and cheese and meatballs and spaghetti. And that doesn't sound American, but it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. For the first two years that we were looking for a place um, and we looked online and we came over here and did scouting trips and so forth, we found one place, but it had been snatched a couple of days before we were able to buy it. So we were very limited in terms of we wanted to be in the center of the country. You know, most of the Portuguese people live, you know, and we wanted to have a property that both was commercial, commercially zoned, and had enough residential stuff, room, because we have a lot of stuff. As we said, we both like flea markets. We had two estate sales before we left. We still needed a 20-foot container. We did find this place in Loza, which is a suburb of Castelo Branco City. It's probably 15 to 20 minutes. It wasn't until we were in there that we found that the lovely little lady, and she really was a lovely little lady who spoke French and Portuguese. And I spoke neither Portuguese nor maybe a tiny bit of French. We happened to run into her. The agent had shown us the house, but he didn't even know how to turn the lights on. He didn't know (laughs) how. I mean, we went tripping and tripping and traipsing and, and it was not the best house inspection and house tour, but we were leaving two days later and we said, let's take a trip back by ourselves, explore the village, walk around, take another look. And just as we pulled up, the little old lady who owned the house was opening the door, opening the door to the house. So I introduced myself. I told her we were interested in the property. She knew how to turn the lights on. And she had, (laughs) you know, between between body language, between a little bit of portanol, mixture between Portuguese and Spanish, Mm -hmm. a little bit of French and so forth. We got the answers to all of our questions, except the ones that we neglected to ask her. We were told, she confirmed for us, that the lower level was indeed zoned commercial. Mm. What she didn't tell us 
is that she had neglected to keep her license in effect. And so to get a new license, okay, and this is where the Portuguese bureaucracy comes in. We first went, you know, down to the city hall, okay, and had people come out to find out what do we need to do? We would like to open this small little restaurant serving this town and so forth. Well, just like in the United States, or in many countries for that matter, we would have to bring the restaurant level up to current zoning code regulation at a minimum. At a minimum, that would have been fifteen to twenty thousand U.S. dollars, and we just didn't have that budgeted, nor did we need it because, as it turned out, Russ's employers accepted. They said, "Let's try it." It's been four years now. There's been a revolving door of employees <laughs> locally in Wisconsin that have come and gone, but he has been constant. He's never missed a staff meeting. So. We didn't need to open a business. And we just turned that into kind of like a family room with a bar and so forth. Oh, cool. So what are we talking about in terms of costs around, you know, a range? Are you talking about the Purchasing house? a home, yes. Purchasing a home. Okay. You can go anywhere. You know, it depends what you're looking for. There are people who buy ruinas. They're houses that are falling down, but the government has said, okay, we want We'll give you some help. Um, we'll smooth things along so that you can build and restore this property. And houses like that, you can pick up for ten to fifteen thousand euros, okay, and invest probably you know anywhere from twenty-five to fifty thousand, and you've got a gorgeous home. Wow! I will tell you that our homes, and there have been three: the one that we sold, which was our first house. All of our houses here in Portugal ran between 35,000 euros and 50,000 euros. And they they did not require that much work. We probably invested about 10,000 euros on top of that because we wanted air conditioning, okay? Mm -hmm. Which means that the wires, the house, the electrical, you know, unless you wanted to keep on running to the fuse, to you know, to the circuit breaker, yeah. the wires couldn't handle that. They couldn't handle the new stoves and, and, right. and things like that. We have air conditioners in all of our rooms that work as heaters also, and they're very cost efficient. We also, being spoiled Americans, I don't want to share my home with flies, mosquitoes, gnats, or whatever. <laughs> I love so, it. you know, if they're not paying it. Yeah. They're not paying. So in a couple of our houses, we had windows, brand new windows and doors that had screens mm-hmm. built right into them. In other places, they just made screens that wow. went on the outside of, of, of the house. In terms of the cost of a property, I would say all things considered, an American who's willing to live like the natives do without sacrificing going out to eat, you know, you have a budget um, and, and and all of that. You can probably, depending on where you're looking, you can find a place, two to three bedrooms, one to two bathrooms, anywhere from 50 to 75,000 euros. Wow. Okay, in That's the amazing. So at, at worst, you put in another 10, 20,000, all in, you're under a hundred grand where you can have air conditioning, heat, because you're inland, so it's hotter. I understand it can go up to a hundred something a few days a year uh, or more, but that's very doable. And you have all the amenities and the comfort of what you'd have in Wisconsin or anywhere in the U.S. Okay, cool. That's, That's very true. But you learn to live differently. Yeah. You learn, for instance, that you don't need whole house air conditioning if you're not living in the whole house. Yeah, it's a waste. In other words, if I'm in my office, but not in the bedroom, I turn the bedroom air conditioner off and I turn my office one on. Sure. Okay. So, the, you know, these are little yeah. things that you adjust to, but yeah, we have. It's interesting because I was looking at your magazine, Portugal Living Magazine, and I saw an ad for a real estate company and all the houses are much much more expensive than that. Is that, I, I guess they come in all different shapes and sizes and costs, I guess, huh? You're looking at properties along the coast. Ah. No, it says inland. 
Okay, well then look at the properties. Okay, yeah, they're, they're not row properties. Houses. Yeah. Okay, yeah. they're not row houses. They're big houses. They tend to have pools. They tend to be upgraded. They tend to be newer. All of our houses are between fifty and sixty years old. They've stood the test of time. Sure. They're structurally sound, and you know what we have found from most people that we know that moved here from the United States after that initial hesitancy where they want to have one foot in each country, they've ended up selling their property in the United States and coming across with enough money that they can buy one, maybe two houses. They might buy one big house and a second house to rent, you know, um, Mm -hmm. so they have income producing or a second in a different country where they vacation. So like our our place in Spain and and over here. But it's amazing just how much the difference. And you can find homes, you know, here for a half a million dollars, for a quarter of a million dollars. But when I speak to my brother who lives in downtown Fort Lauderdale, he laughed. He's got a condo, a one bedroom condo, and it's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's insane, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the houses that Bruce has mentioned in that price range are, are pretty modest homes, even after the renovations. the The houses that you can see in the magazine, for instance, those are that are referenced there. Those are probably twenty five hundred to three thousand square feet. Wow! Yeah, and you pay for that. Yeah. But then you also pay for that electric bill. Yeah. (laughs) One of them looks like this tremendous two-story, looks like a a factory, actually. This one's one point modern house, yeah. Yeah, that's a totally refurbished. And but then there's one for two hundred and sixty-nine thousand, and that's more of like a bungalow style, but that's also been refurbished. So and with a pool. The pool, yeah. With the pool, yeah. All right. So I think that that's good that we've covered. The range, you know, what people can find. You can find something for whatever your price range. Listen, without, without difficulty, like right? Without without difficulty, it depends on how you live. It's the same thing in location, location, sure. location. location. Mm-hmm. Even inland, okay, mm-hmm. like the ad you were looking at. Inland, there are some very big, very well known, very popular cities like Domar, Vizu. You know, at, at, they might be a half an hour or an hour even away from the water, mm-hmm. but they are in big, updated, modern cities. And you're looking at big homes, as Russ said, 2,500 minimum square feet. They usually have a pool and so forth. Like you know, yeah. $250,000 or 269 or whatever the price is, you tell me where you would go. Yeah. You buy find something like that in Kansas these days, in Oklahoma, <laughs> North Dakota. We saw no. we watched a video just to, about two weeks ago of a couple who bought a two-bedroom condo in an old palace in Lisbon and it was half a million dollars. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in general, it's much less expensive in C- Castello Branco than it is in, say, the Algarve or Silver Coast or Lisbon or Port- Porto, right? Significantly right. expensive. Less expensive. Correct. Correct. Okay. And apparently in those places, the Algarve and Silver Coast and Porto and Lisbon, you can no longer use the golden visa, right? You can use it inland, I'm told, still. Yes. Okay. I just want to say that. What are the taxes of these properties? We don't have to focus on all the other big ones, but like yours, for example. 104 euros a year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> One, zero, four a year. A year. Right. And recently there was parity. So 104 euros is a hundred, was $104. Yes, yes. So now 104 euros is about $107. Right, right. That's it. For the purposes of our show, the, the market exchange, we're, we're going to do a one-to-one. All right. So that, that was quick and easy. Yeah, right? yeah. All right. So say you wanted to um, get away. Now, I know for Spain, it's, you guys are right over the border. But let's say you wanted to fly to Wisconsin internationally. Where's the nearest airport? Nearest international airport that would take you to the United States would be Lisbon. Okay. And how far um, is that? I'm not aware of any international flights to go to Porto, but I, yeah. I know we have flown in and out of Lisbon. We've also, that's about two hours from where we are, even by train, which is the trains are great. And we're about four hours, I think, from Madrid, which would be really another option. Okay. Okay. And what about the public transportation? How is that? And also, do you have a car and do you need a car? 
where you live? <laughs> Ooh, loaded question. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, just like we're people that tend to buy a house as opposed to renting a house, mm -hmm. we have a car. Okay, we don't we don't like leasing, but there again, we don't buy. Cars are very expensive here in Portugal. Yeah, yeah. They're very expensive here in Portugal. We made a mistake. We bought three cars, each of which was used. Oh, okay. used Because here in Portugal, the law states they must come with a one-year guarantee. They don't use warranty, but they say a guarantee. <laughs> if you're buying it from a dealer, a licensed okay. dealer, it must come with at least a one-year guarantee. Most of them have two-year guarantees. Mm. But what you don't realize is if I buy a car, if I'm living in Castelo Branco and I buy a car from a dealer in Lisbon, okay, and the dealer in Lisbon says, no problem, we'll drive the car to you, okay, and there are two of us, will come in two cars. But what happens if the car breaks down? If the car breaks down, it's got to be towed back to Lisbon because that dealer is the one that is responsible for servicing it. Uh, and you have no idea what's going in under the hood there. Okay. Yeah. So after three <laughs> lemons, should I call them, <laughs> you know, that we could not make lemonade, we bought the first car that I did that I had never seen in the United States. It was made by Ford. They're called a monovulo. Um it it, it it it's kind of a small people mover that it's a small van. A minivan. Oh. It was a Ford Torneo Coria. We had that three cylinders. Who ever heard of such a thing? But we we had that for four years. And I'm laughing because within the past three weeks, we just got a new car. Okay. <laughs> we, uh, you got a Ferrari? You know, uh, no, we got another car that you cannot get in the United States. Oh. We got a Dacia. It comes totally loaded. Dacia is made by Renault. Ah. Okay, it's it's a division of Renault, but it is produced in Romania. Oh, okay, yeah. and it's sold all over Europe, and it is probably one of the lowest priced cars. We have um, the top of the line, fully loaded. Um, it's kind of like an SUV, and the total price on that came to twenty two thousand euros. Oh, Ooh. nice! Which nice. is really it, yes. Yeah, I, I had a Cherokee in the United States in Wisconsin, a Jeep Grand Cherokee, uh -huh. and this is very similar in feel and the way it handles and the and the size of it. Oh, wow. very nice. Yeah, I'm looking at photos right now. Oh, very they're, nice, they're cool looking, yeah. yeah, but the servicing for this one, I guess, is right in town for you. Well, it's a new yeah. car. Also. It's a new car because I thought you were going to say that. There's this guarantee on the old cars, but you could service them anywhere. No, it's covered. You have to drive two, three hours. Okay. What, what about well, if you um, buy it in town? If you buy it in town, yeah. Okay. If yeah. you buy it in Castelo Branco, then you, of course. You know. No, no, understood. But but in Castelo Branco, can you get around without a car? Yeah. We have not attempted, <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 we've seen bus service that many, many people use. Mm -hmm. um, so you can get around Castelo Branco. We've seen buses and and they're LPG buses, so they run on liquid propane. Propane, yeah. And by the way, our, our new car does too. Um, oh. They're very popular for locals to be able to get around the city if you're in the city. There are buses that come out to the villages and towns around Castelo Branco and pick up people, so you can get into the city. We we haven't attempted that because we we have a car and we need that freedom <laughs> mm -hmm. not sure. to be a, on a schedule or trying to figure out the schedule right right and it's great to have your car right to go shopping and all that kind yeah. of stuff i've also taken trains which are wonderful um, you can take a train from our our town here and i'll change directly into the middle of castello bronco yeah that's nice and you do you do uh shopping that way as well i mean well, they have a car no no no. well <laughs> i was going to ask you know can you buy public transportation if i didn't have a car could I go food shopping? You can. Yes. Okay. You can. There's a. There's one of. We have two malls. There malls here are like malls were in the 80s in the United States. So they're very okay. popular, mm -hmm. and very big, and you know, flashy and fun. But there, there was one mall in in the center of Castelo Branco that sends buses out to villages to bring people into that mall. Oh, nice. To shop. Mm -hmm. 
And if they're free buses. Oh, they're free. Oh, bringing in the money. <laughs> okay. So since we're heading in that direction, in terms of um, food and purchasing, you know, for daily life, what do you do that? Is Are it in Costello? <laughs> yes. Yes. Is, is there a big supermarket or do you go to little there, markets? There is a very large um, supermarket called Auschwan, which sounds German, but it's French. Mm-hmm. It's a French chain. Um, it's probably about the size of a Walmart, but it's not like a Walmart. It's mostly grocery shopping, but they also have school supplies and cosmetics and some linens and things like that. It's a very large, um, really nice place to go shopping. And that's in that mall that will send out buses to okay. the villages. But we also have another chain called Pingo Dos, which is a Portuguese chain that um, is very good. They are all pretty small stores, but they're they're nice Mm-hmm. Okay. And Russ, we hear you love to cook. What are the prices like in, in those stores? How Are they comparable to the U.S.? Are they are less expensive or more expensive? By and large, less expensive. Produce is, is really, really cheap unless it's really brought in. Like avocados are a little expensive. But um, if you want celery or peppers or potatoes or onions, all of that is really very cheap. Orange juice or oranges, lemons, any kind of Thing that's, that can be grown locally. Of course, olives. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> so you're the chef, we understand, and you make all sorts of good macaroni and cheese <laughs> plates, right? Because we know Bruce misses all those little tapas yeah, found Bruce, in Bruce middle is lucky. America. <laughs> yeah, Bruce is very fortunate. Do you also just step outside your house and go to local markets for food? Or, you know, I assume you could just do that, right? Yes, yes. There's a local market here that in our town of Alcange mm-hmm. that operates every Saturday, and um, we can go there and pick up produce as well there from that's all locally grown. Okay. I think what she meant by markets is, do we go out to eat? Yes, we go out to eat quite often. All mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. We're not particularly fond of Portuguese food. Okay. Except no. <laughs> it depends on the restaurant. It depends on the (laughs) restaurant. Okay. If you like fish and seafood, you'll be in seventh heaven here. Okay. I'm not a fish person. Okay. Um, Not even tuna? I make the best tuna fish salad. Okay. That's the one thing I cook that is, everybody says, that is the best tuna fish salad I've ever had. But no, we go out. As a matter of fact, we just came back right now. Right before we tuned in with you folks, we met a, another couple, actually the couple that was the ones responsible for bringing us here. Mm-hmm. We met them at a local restaurant and the prato de dia, the plate of yes. the day, mm-hmm. Yes. okay, it was chicken today, but it was all you can eat chicken on the grill, you know, uh, the wow. rotisserie chicken, all you can drink wine, all you can eat of soup, fresh bread, and Portugal makes the best bread and the best bakery stuff I've had anywhere. Nice. It includes dessert. I said all of um, and smashed potatoes. It's nine and a half euros a person. Oh my okay? goodness. Okay. And I you love can't hearing eat. about the, the plate of the day from everyone. Yeah. It never gets old. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it doesn't. But no. we'll also, I mean, we'll, we, we go out every Friday to do our own food shopping, grocery right. shopping and mm-hmm. so forth. And whenever we go out, we go out, we, we will have lunch, but it's so filling and so reasonable that the days that we go shopping and have lunch out, we usually don't eat dinner at home. That makes sense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I happen to love fish, but I think getting the the plate is also incredible. And I think we hear from other parts, uh, depending on where in Portugal, obviously by the coast, you can just get like any fish right out of the water, basically. Right. And they're easy to cook. So, okay, there you have it. So in Castelo Branco, I know there are museums. It's a small city, but there are museums and it looks very nice. And what do you do for entertainment there, generally? Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> You, Bruce, you're such a homebody like me. Classic, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) Now, okay. Now, one of the things at the mall that Russ was talking about, you know, that that will actually send a bus, sends a bus on a regular, you know, uh, schedule out to the villages and so forth. They have a special called Cinema y Jantar. They have first run movies here. One of the differences between Spain and Portugal, and I prefer the Portugal approach in Portuguese. 
you will see the first run film in English mm. with Portuguese subtitles. Ah. In Spain, it's dubbed. So you oh. it just is strange looking at faces and mouths going in one direction and words, you know, yeah. coming in. But they have a deal here. And I think inflation has caused it to go up to 10 euros a person. But you pick the movie that you want to see and you pick the seat. When you get a ticket, they show you the floor plan. You pick which seats you want. And then there are four restaurants. Okay. And you can go to any of the four restaurants for a dinner. The dinner and the movie are 10 euros. Wow. And we have done that. Ooh. We saw Mamma Mia here, the new Mamma Mia. We uh -huh. saw, you know, with, with Cher. We did that. Well, we went with friends and, and so forth. Yeah, we're more homebodies, though. I mean, if you want to party, I don't think the interior of the country, unless you go to a place like Coimbra, which is a university town. Uh, so, so I have to ask. So you watch the movie first. I mean, uh, you eat first in a restaurant. It's not like you're mm -hmm. eating and watching the film in front of you. Okay. No. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. That's very nice. But essentially, you talk about language. Do you both know Portuguese? And do you have to know Portuguese? What do you think about that? Well, they're they're inland, so they're immersed. Yes. Yes, that's right. That you have to know it well. Bruce previously, and still is, um, fluent in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And even though they sound nothing alike, Spanish and Portuguese, right. you, if, you speak, if you are fluent in Spanish, you can understand written Portuguese at least. There's a lot of similarities in that regard, mm -hmm. but the sound is more like an Eastern European language. It's like mm -hmm. listening to somebody speak Hungarian or whatever. It's a very different sounding language. Bruce can get by. People are always telling him in Portuguese what how well he speaks Portuguese. I don't speak it that well. I understand it more than I than I can speak, and I can read more than I can um, speak. And is that because you took Spanish as well? No, no. Actually, I had Latin in junior high school. Oh, okay. Um, okay. That, that helped a little bit. Yeah. Now, I thought, because I was born in Brazil, so I, well, came to the U.S. when I was very young, but I took about three, four years of Spanish. And I thought, hey, you know, I can maybe translate that over or kind of, you know, change it a little. But, oh, man, it, it is very different. It is very different. There's a lot of zh, zh, zh. Mm -hmm. And uh, my equivalent, I will say, is like speaking Shanghaiese instead of Cantonese or Mandarin, because in Shanghaiese, there's also a lot of zh, zh, zh. <laughs> you know? so, so this this kind of French influence, if you will, makes it that much harder. Yeah. Like like it earlier, is, I couldn't say, I, I didn't think of, I was saying Castello, but it's Castello, you know, it's like, who knew, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And they also blend the words together. Okay, mm -hmm. like French does, you know, the end of one becomes hard of another. Yeah. But people said when we first moved here, people said to me, Oh, you won't have any trouble really with Portuguese because you speak Spanish. Well, it turns out that Spanish is more of a stumbling block because I think yeah. in Spanish and the rules of grammar and syntax are quite different in Portuguese. Yeah. In yeah. other words, where the pronoun goes in, 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 in terms of the verb and so forth, it's very, very, very different. And yeah. on top of that, people speak very quickly. As Russ said, you can look at a word on a piece of paper. And if you know Latin or French or Spanish or whatever, you can figure it out without any problem. Russ, if he's got to, if I'm not there for him, he can take his laundry in. He can get his laundry out. He can do his food shopping. He can give his NIF number. He can do perfectly, perfectly all, yeah, well. Everything you need. Yeah. How do you say bathroom? In Portuguese, like El Baño would be what? Baño. Oh, it's the same? Oh, it's but it's spelled differently. In Spanish, it's B-A-N with a tilde, uh -huh. B-A-N-O. Yeah. In Portuguese, it's B-A-N-H-O. And of that's course. how you make the ñ sound. Of course. Baño. Uh, Gene, that's very important for you. All right. <laughs> running, around, running around going, where's the baño? Baño. El baño. Okay. Well, right, if right. you're asking for If you're asking for that, you want the W-C. Oh, Everybody God. knows oh. what a WC is. Oh, yeah. Europe, yeah. Yeah. Closet. Yeah. That's so interesting. That, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Right, okay. well, Bruce, tell us a little about the Portugal Living magazine that you're involved with. When we moved here, we saw that there were more and more English speakers moving. Originally, this was the land of the Brits. The Brits, it was a, a British secret. And it's basically British people in the Algarve. And that's where they're located. That's where the majority of English speakers 
But now you're getting people from Belgium, from the USA, from Canada, from South Africa, from Ireland. You're getting many, many, many English-speaking countries whose people are wanting to move to Portugal. I noticed that there was 12 English-language monthly magazines catering to the Algarve, produced, distributed just to the Algarve, and produced and written just in the Queen's English. Very infrequently would you find any stories about what was going on in the rest of the country. Yes, there are mentions of Lisbon and there are mentions of Porto and so forth, but Castelo Branco, Coimbra, which is a big city, um, <laughs> you know, the Alentejo, which is, you know, one third of the land size of, of, of all of Portugal, never, ever mentioned. So I came up with an idea of a publication that would be English language that would cater to not just British people. As a matter of fact, if you look closely in the magazine, you will find two types of English. If we have a writer whose background is British English. Oh, no, realize okay. it's going to be with an S. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it became, it would be impossible for us to edit. Okay. If we insisted that everything be either British English or right, American right. English, yeah, yeah. it would be. And so because of the diversity of the country, because of the diversity of the people, because of the diversity of the land, okay, and the languages, we publish both. You're, there's probably 60% American English to 40% British. But the magazine introduces people to their neighbors, people, places, culture, yeah. heritage, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we have been delighted. We just came out with our seventh issue and we were awarded a gold medal from MARCOM, the Marketing and Communications Association. And that's an international award. It was a gold award in magazine category. Nice. We're, Congratulations. We're, we, it's, it's free. I think that Jane mentioned earlier in the show, just PortugalLivingMagazine.com. If you go to our website, you can subscribe for free. We were up to about 7,500 subscribers to our digital online. All of our issues, past issues are up there too. But there are a lot of people like me, when I have to go to the WC, all right, and read, because I like to read, like I like to read and, and so forth. I don't want to take a digital device. I don't want to sit with a laptop. I no? like the paper and so forth. So we were very fortunate that there is a program that Amazon offers in which you can publish through Amazon your books or magazine. It's very difficult. The technology involved step by step. And if you're a millimeter off, they'll reject it. And you'll have to keep on going with the fixes they tell mm -hmm. you. But we've pretty much got it down pat now. So anyone who wants the magazine in a print format can go to any Amazon.com. Hmm. And this month I was looking at the numbers. Evidently, a lot of people have ordered the magazine as gifts. So the nice thing is the people are living in Portugal, but they want to send the magazine to their friends in Kansas. So they go to Amazon.com and they can even so it, they don't have to worry about shipping from Portugal because it's shipped from the States. And there's even a little gift card that, you know, you just fill out. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. it's personalized. And we I've noticed as I've been tracking the numbers this month, the number of copies ordered and it's print on demand. Ah, so nice. it's environmentally yeah. no, no friendly. Yeah. There's no waste there. Mm -hmm. They only print copies as they are ordered. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, the other thing you can do while you're in the loo <laughs> is to listen to a podcast, <laughs> such as Retire There with Gil and Jean, where you don't have to carry anything. You can just turn up the volume in the, the room right outside. One question for Bruce. Bruce, you're a pastor. Do you still do wedding? I've done a couple, yeah. What I've done is on face, I've created an online congregation because here in Portugal, the Roman Catholic Church, people might not go to it, but it is the official church yep. of oh. Portugal, just like it is the official church of Spain. Okay. So Brazil, weddings yeah. can either be civil in, you know, in terms of you have it done at a government office, or if they're religious, they must be Roman Catholic. They must be Roman Catholic. Apart from the Roman Catholic Church, you've got Jehovah's Witness, seven day. Seventh-day Adventists and the Mormons, and a storefront Baptist church here and there in the large cities. 
I am a very progressive pastor, okay? I am more spiritual than about organized religion and, and liturgies and stuff like that. And I found that there are a lot of people that moved here that are missing that. You know, that it's not that they're church people, but they're missing the fellowship, the congregation, the, the, the getting together, you know, the sharing discussion and all of that. So I created <laughs> on Facebook, it's called People of Faith Online Congregation. There's 535 members of that People of Faith Online Congregation. And I had hoped that they would be from Portugal, that we were providing a service to them. But guess what? 90% are from the United States. Oh, no. Because they are not finding what they want in organized religion in the United States. <laughs> oh, all right. So and so funny. they're joining us over here. What can Wait, I tell you? So that's on Facebook, People of Faith, what? People of Faith yeah. Online Congregation. Funny. No, th that is funny because when we were in Brazil and my parents, it was just a diversion. They were supposed to go to the U.S., but due to immigration laws changing, they went to Brazil. So 95% of Brazil or more are Roman Catholic. And they felt so compelled. My parents weren't religious like many Asians. You know, they were in bits of maybe Buddhism and some of this and some of that. But their neighbors convinced them to baptize their children. So me and my two sisters, the three of us were born in, the, in Brazil, were all Roman Catholic. <laughs> but my parents didn't follow up with all the other sacraments. <laughs> so it's like, OK, uh, what do we do now? So it's, it's just on paper, basically. Yeah. And maybe we'll join yeah. your uh, little Facebook group there. And, uh, it's, watch it's, you. <laughs> no, no preaching? No, I, I will put up a sermon every so often, but more often than that, I'll put up a question. I'll ask a question, a morality question. Okay. Ooh. It might be, you know, how would you react to this? Or, you know, what's your thought about this? For instance, in Arlington, Virginia, there's a United Methodist Church where the congregation decided to sell its building and use the money to provide shelter to homeless people and they wow. would meet in their basement. Okay. So that would, I shared the story. Okay. Because it was online. I shared it with our group and there was a huge thread. Okay. Of people discussing that is what I believe it. That to me is what Christianity is about. It's yeah. not about the building. It's not about pastors earning enough money that they can compete with doctors, you know, on a professional scale. It's okay. not about, you know, making sure that you start, that you're given the leaflet that tells you, you say this and I say that and you say right. this and I say that. And it's not about singing lift high the cross or, onward Christian soldiers, which right, to me is right. an oxymoron right. to begin with, you know, um, <laughs> We have people in this group that come from a Buddhist background. Um, there are some Unitarians. There are there are a variety of people. There are a whole bunch of people that said at first that they had lost their faith, that, that they that religion had caused them to lose their faith. But by being part of this group and interacting with other people whose understanding was not so narrow or parochial, that they felt themselves being ministered to. Mm. That's the theological speaker sure, sure. You know, coming out. But anyway, right. what else can we tell you? I mean, I, I, I know we could go on for hours, but the dogs need to eat. Yes, yes. Yeah, sure. and so do we. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, let's wrap up. Yeah. This has been so much fun, but do, really. You say, do you have any advice for the last thing? Do you have any advice, both of you, first of all, Russ? advice for people wanting to move overseas or thinking about it? Explore your options. If you're looking for, for a particular country like Portugal, even though it's not a very big country, it varies greatly from one end to the other. If, if you're considering Portugal, keep your options open. Um, look inland, look north. The northern area is absolutely beautiful. There's mountainous. The south is hot. <laughs> um, the coast along, you know, between Lisbon and Porto has very mild, comfortable summers, damp, cold winters. Bruce? Bruce? I would say two things. Number one, remember that you're on a journey, not a destination. So you need to go with the flow, be able to go with the flow. And the other thing I would say, three things, go with the flow. Don't be an ugly American, okay? Because there are many of them in many different countries that aren't welcome, okay? It's just not the way to be. And the last thing that I would say is before you go, determine what your purpose is. Why are you going? Are you going to get away from something or are you going 
to something. Mm. And if it's to something, what is it? What are you looking for? What do you want? I guess it's like Russ said, consider your options. But think about it as a journey. It might take a couple of steps until you find Shangri-La, you know, or or your Shangri-La. Think about what's important to you and think about not so much why you're leaving, but why you are arriving, why you're going. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. You're welcome. You've been wonderful. We Thank really you. We enjoyed it. it. Okay. We enjoyed it. I'm sorry for the interruptions and all, you know, with the dogs. And, oh, and we, love, we love dogs. That's all going to come out. <laughs> okay. In Portuguese, we would say adoish. Oh, adoish. Adoish. Whereas in Spanish, it would be adios. Adoish. Okay. Most people don't say adoish. Most people say até logo, até breve, okay, until soon, até então, until then. Yeah, okay. you know. All right, um, all right. Um, we're gonna we're gonna say cheers. <laughs> okay. And ciao. Uh, so, happy holidays. Happy holidays. And, yes, and here's Bush to festivals. Yes, yes. Here's to a wonderful 2023. Amen. Amen. Yes. Take I'll care. say amen to that. Take okay. care. We've Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Bye bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well.